Me and my cousins. It's a podcast. Three guys, three decades, three perspectives. Me and my cousins. It's a podcast. Morgan Coffee Co. is a small batch coffee company out of Point Pleasant, New Jersey. They feature unique blends inspired by the Jersey Shore, and every month they feature a new single-origin coffee from around the world and their new Flavor of the Month Club. Bean Mug and Coffee Co. is giving our listeners 10% off all coffee and their recently released K-Cups. Visit Bean Mug and Coffee Co. and enter Cousins10 at checkout. Bean Mug and Coffee Co., the roast from the coast. Welcome back to another Me and My Cousins interview segment. I was hoping to have all the cousins on this with a very special guest tonight, but it's a Tuesday evening, and that means uh, Mike is tallying up the scores from his five fantasy football leagues, and Kenny's probably in Uber to DJs right now because that's what he does on Tuesday nights. So it is just Angelo, only one cousin coming to you tonight. We'll check with those guys a little bit later on. But tonight's guest is a very special guest. Uh, I became a fan of hers earlier in season two when we interviewed the guys from Telegraph Hill Records. Shout out to those guys, Joe and Matt. It's a great episode. I haven't checked it out yet. And I got to talk to them for a while on this podcast. I went down the rabbit hole of people they worked with. And one of my favorites is our guest tonight. She's a pop artist. She's from Monmouth County. She's doing big things. My first exposure to her was Quarter Life Crisis on Telegraph Hill compilation. And I went down that rabbit hole even deeper and became a fan of some other tracks she's got out there. Uh, so me and my cousins and listeners, want you guys to welcome Taylor Toad to the podcast. Taylor, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. I'm great. Thank you for doing this. Really, I think Mike and Kenny would want to say thank you if they were here, but of course they're busy. But uh, from Angelo, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. So let's get right to the beginning of it. What's your personal history? You grew up at the Jersey Shore. You're, you're all over the place now. And how does singing and becoming a performer enter your life? So it's like a question that I get all the time. And it's, and it's something that I have to really think about because I don't remember there being like a spark, like a moment where I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, I just always knew it was what I wanted to do. Um, I've been singing since I could talk. I was an only child for about five years. And um, even when my sisters were babies, like I was still kind of like, I was so much older than them. So to keep myself kind of like occupied, um, I was just always singing, putting on performances for my parents. Um, I got into elementary school and met my two best friends and they also love to sing and dance so we formed our own little girl group so like I mean it's just something that's always always been there always been a part of me and it it wasn't like anything really inspired me to do it I'm sure like obviously outsource outside sources definitely did but it was like a no-brainer like ever since I was a little kid like at my kindergarten graduation I'm sure I said I wanted to be an astronaut and a rock star. Like that was like <laughs> it's a good combination. Yeah. Like it was just always, I was a gymnast. I was a dancer. I was an actor. I was a cheerleader. Um, I did so many different things, but like, I always knew that music was just the constant in my life. So. Were, were you in theater and plays in high school or younger? Or was that part of your life? Yeah, I was. I, so I was a competitive dancer. I did hip hop and jazz. Uh, I started, I, I loved dancing and it wasn't until I was like a little bit older. Maybe I was like 12 or 13 when, um, my friends were like, maybe you should like come to like our dance studio and join our dance studio, which I did. And I was there throughout high school and I got into the competitions and everything like that, which was really cool. Um, and then I did do the plays and, um, theater, like musical theater all throughout high school. I actually started 
that's not true. I started in middle school because my middle school was actually, we did like chorus. Um, we did Annie. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a fiddler on the roof, like all in middle school. And then I think like when I was in sixth grade, we like did something that my theater professor wrote or my theater teacher wrote or something like that. Um, so it wasn't even like a play, but yeah. So really going back like almost 15 years ago, I was, I was doing all that stuff too. A big theme we come back to on this podcast a lot is all three of my cousins in high school, we all kind of skewed very heavy towards the sports side of things. And none of us did any kind of performing whatsoever, right? Mm. Now, however many years later, I'm doing stand-up comedy a bunch of nights a week. And I really think I missed out on having that that baseline level of somebody teaching you how to be on stage and how to perform. And there's a learning curve to any kind of performance. But I think if you kind of get that younger, you have a running start in some people that didn't. And I kind of, I kind of see that in what I'm doing now. is people that were, maybe we're, say we're all 30 years old now, if they started in high school, drama, band, whatever it is, they kind of got that running start with the kids that weren't doing that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, that's really interesting you say that, though, because there is an element of sports. So, I mean, I was a dancer, I was a gymnast, and I was a cheerleader. So, I mean, like, that's obviously different than playing, like, football or something or, like, soccer or field hockey or lacrosse, obviously. But there's, there's, there is a performance level, I think, kind of to all of that. Like, you're still in front of a crowd. You're still in front of people um, when you're playing sports. So there is an element of that that makes a lot of sense. Like, there's a lot of um, like football players turn singer songwriters, like more than you even realize there's a lot of um, musicians out there that really are, um, they come from sports. They come, they have that kind of background because it teaches you like in a way how to be in front of people and how to like, you know, how do you do under pressure? Yeah. And I think it, sports and music are definitely intertwined a lot. Like you don't see yeah. a highlight of a game without some music behind it. Right. And most people that are right. playing sports, listen to whatever they're going to listen to in their headphones, you get fired up to do what they're going to do. Um, I think it's kind of cool when you see people make that transition too. I think it's kind of a cool thing. You don't, I think one thing in American sports, we kind of brand kids early as you're a football player. You don't do anything else. Right. When in reality, you could be a football player and a singer, right. You could be a baseball player and a producer. These are things you can do both at the same time. Yeah. So that, that being said, once you're out of, out of high school and you're kind of done with the high school era of competitive dance and played and stuff like that, when do you start recording original music? When do you start putting on your own songs? And I'm assuming you started with covers kind of like everybody else. And when do you start making your own music? Yeah, so, I mean, I've been writing songs, again, just as long as I've been singing. I So there was a question someone asked me probably like 10 years ago now. And they were like, are you a singer that writes songs or are you a songwriter that sings? And there's a big difference in that. And it's the same thing too. Are you a singer or are you an artist? Or are you, you know, an artist first and then a singer? There's definitely like, it sounds kind of complicated, but it really is very simple that like, there are songwriters out there who sing out of necessity, such as like John Mayer. Um, whereas like, I definitely identify as a singer who writes songs. And even when I was younger, I knew I loved to sing. I knew I loved to be in front of people. And like you said, I was doing covers. And in my mind, when I was like a little kid growing up, listening to like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and Sync and all these people, I was completely under the impression that every single singer wrote their own songs. I was like, well, if I wanna be a singer, I have to write songs. Um, which I know now we all know that's not true. Um, but I'm very happy that I kind of thought that when I was younger, cause I don't think I really would have gotten into it or have been as into it as I 
been, you know, throughout this whole time. And I obviously love writing songs. Um, but I tried recording my songs when I was in high school. Um, and they never really came out the way I wanted it to. And then I got out of high school. Well, my senior year of high school, I met a band and we were in a cover band, a cover rock band. And kind of throughout my time with them, I started writing originals for them or taking some old originals and we would perform them out. So we kind of slowly started, we like became an original band in a sense, like we were still doing a lot of covers, but we started incorporating a lot of originals that I was writing. And we won some competitions where we run like free recordings and everything like that. But nothing ever really came of it, like nothing ever really um, happened. I don't think there's any recordings out with that band at all. And then once I left that band and started my own band, there was like this little in-between time where I met Steve Jankowski and he recorded my first EP. Um, he recorded and produced it. He did basically everything. He arranged it. Um, and it sounds really awesome. Um, but still just like this, this thing in me was like, this is not really going the way that I had like envisioned my sound being like it sounded so good and he was so talented and everything that he did but I think I just slowly started to realize like okay like what is my sound like what does Taylor Tote sound like and that took a really really long time to kind of accomplish um and I think it's still just it's always going to be a process that happens but yeah I think I, I I guess the short answer to your question would be um I started recording my own music when I was in high school Okay, great. I have a quick question because you brought up Britney, Christina, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, that era of pop music, right? Yeah. And it seemed like the model then from the music industry was you find kind of obscure people that are talented and you put the machine behind them, right? You get 20 songwriters working on their album. You get the best producers, the best engineers, the best video directors, and you put a package out to the, to the MTV Total Request Live, that world, right? Is yeah. today that a little bit different? Is today the industry looking for more self-contained people that have a following already that can kind of do it by themselves and then we, the, the record label or the whatever the, the business behind it is can amplify what you're already doing? Because it seems like today there's more people on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify that are doing what you're doing. Like they have a complete packaged product and then they want to just take what they're already doing to the next level as opposed to someone who's just kind of not doing anything, going to auditions and trying to get a record deal. Is that fair to say? It is a completely DIY industry today. It is 100% do-it-yourself. Labels won't even look at you um, if you don't have music out. They don't, they don't look at you if um, you don't have a social media following. You need to have all of this stuff. I mean, that's like a very big factor um, in why a label might want to sign an artist is because they have a following. They have a following already. So they already know what they're getting themselves into. They know that there's like, less of a chance that this artist is going to flop um, when they know that they already have like a very large fan base and they already have a lot of music out and a lot of content and a very like clear vision. You don't really have labels or um, labels or PROs or A&Rs or anything like that guiding you um, into what your career is. It's like, it's a very tedious process of figuring that out yourself. And a lot of artists like me, um, I could have definitely used a lot of that guidance when I was younger. And like I said, starting to record my music when I was 16, um, that probably would have changed the course of my career a lot. And I probably would have realized a lot of things a lot sooner. 
But there's people like Billie Eilish who at 13 years old, 13 years old knew exactly who she was um, and was able to just come into this industry and freaking kill it. Um, so that always amazes me because you see a lot of people who know exactly who they are at a super young age and they just go in full force and they're able to do it. And not to say that like I haven't done that either. Um, it's took it's taken a little bit longer. Um, I think I've had a lot of things and people and just circumstances hold me back from a lot of like my vision and like what I've always wanted for myself. But like I said, it's, it's a completely DIY industry for sure. Yeah. And that's always interesting too, when you bring on collaborators and get outside feedback on what you're doing, you know, some of it might be really great advice, right? And some of it might be someone trying to give you advice and has no idea what your end goal is. So it's really hard to take that super seriously. Um, so I'm saying if you guys are going to play a different game or speaking a different language, it's, it's real hard to be on the same page goal-wise. I'm going to throw an idea out there. If you don't like it, just throw it back. Forgot I ever said it. Would you say somebody in the music industry right now who could probably use some more people telling them no and give them a little more guidance as Kanye West, that his recent music is so off the wall and so into himself? He's made, it's like the albums are so long. The songs are so long. And he's a guy that kind of did better, in my opinion, when a label and an A&R and somebody was kind of reining his creativity in a little bit, would you agree with that or not? This is, this is something that I like really try to pull my bias back on. Cause I think Kanye is really great. Like I really think Kanye is a great artist. Um, I just think that, yeah, his older stuff is really awesome. And I mean, I think what he's releasing now is still awesome. It's just, his like attitude has changed a lot. And I think, but he knows what people want. Like he really knows what his fans want from him. And I think that's like what the biggest thing is. It's like, he's so creative and he has all these crazy wild ideas, but that's what his fans want to hear. You know, like he's, I wouldn't say I like listen to Kanye religiously, but I, and I don't really listen to any artist religiously, which is funny considering I'm like, a, I love music. Um, but he definitely knows what he's doing, I would say. And I think that in terms of like who he is and like maybe what he's doing in the press and the media maybe isn't the best. And maybe people need to tell him no more often in that sense. Cause anytime that he's about to like release something new and people get excited about it, he does something like he says something crazy or he does something crazy and you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> You just get like exhausted from you're like, oh, I really want to like you. I really am trying. <laughs> hey, and, and real quick, what I said about Kanye, not that it matters to anybody in the world, but I'm a, I was for the first six years of his career, a super fan. I think yeah. his first five albums are undeniable classics across any genre. And I think from about two, th after Watch the Throne yeah. until now, it's kind of like what you said. It's, it's definitely a genius at work. But it's and the other part is I'm 10 years older than I was in 2011, so maybe I've kind of grown out of what he's doing a little bit. Sure. Um, but I just think it's it's a different it's a different thing. And as far as I want to say manipulating, but working with the media and making people care about what he's doing, he might be the best person at it on earth. Because um, yeah. the con the conversation in the last few weeks hasn't been he's dropped an unbelievable all time classic album. It's some people like it, some people don't, but everybody's talking about it, right? Right. Well, you know what the thing is, too, and this is something that I've thought about a lot. Um, you obviously have to know what the people want. You have to know what your fans want. And that can be a lot different with your musical ability and your musical knowledge. Like, you could be like, oh, my God, there's this guy. I think his name is Jacob Collier. 
I think it's Jacob Collier. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but people who are listening to this and who know him are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. He is a music freak. He goes off the chains with his harmonies. He is just so unbelievably talented, but I can't help when I hear it just sometimes it's like just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And I like believe in that full heartedly with like everything in life, like any aspect, whether it's music or not, like just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. It's not something that like people always want to hear. I definitely think you can overdo it. Does Kanye overdo it? Yes. A lot of listeners who aren't musicians, which like most, most of Kanye's listeners are not musicians are not a musically, musically inclined at all. And sometimes that might confuse them. Like you, like, like you said, like you didn't really come from like a big music background. So like for you to listen to some of Kanye's things, you might just be like, I don't even really understand this. Whereas like someone else, like who is a musician, like someone like Jacob Collier probably listens to Kanye's stuff and is like, whoa, that was actually really freaking cool. Like, I don't think people even realize what he did. You yeah, know, so like there's, there's things like that too, where it's like, like you said, like, should you be pulling back on the creativity? And it's like, not necessarily the creativity, but like just knowing your audience and knowing what you want, which I think that like Kanye definitely does. Yeah, and one thing real quick to relate that to like stand-up comedy world, because a lot of people from that world listen because they are aware of my performances. Um, in comedy, we call that performing for the back of the room because the back of the room is other comics, right? And normally right. if the back of the room is laughing because the joke is well-worded or they like the emotion behind it, whatever it is, the middle of the room, the people that actually bought the tickets are not on board. It's a very odd thing. Like you said, it's the, you can kind of perform for the technicians and the people that are watching with one kind of eye and discerning taste. And the general public is a lot of times not even understanding what's going on there. Um, I think it happens in music. It happens in comedy. It happens in movies a lot, right? A lot of movies that win the Oscars are not the big hit movies because the general public just doesn't understand what's going on there. And I reach a point in my life where I'm kind of okay with that. I'm like, I understand what I understand. I like what I like. And I don't, you know, I learn other stuff from open to anything, but um, I'm probably never going to listen to a song the way you would, right? I'm just not, it's something that's not going to happen. Right. I, I kind of think about that, like tying it into my own music and like my own journey through music. Cause I was doing, I was in a rock band and then my band was like more pop rock, sometimes a little bit country. And, um, and then I got like a little bit more into soul and now I'm in the pop world, like full on pop. And it's funny because I listened to all of my old songs like before my pop kind of genre shift and I'm belting in every single song. I'm like hitting high notes in every single song. And I didn't really realize it until pretty recently. Just because I can do that doesn't mean people want to hear that in every single song that I do. And there's ways to be creative without like showboating, I guess you can say. So it's like, and like you said, you are, you are performing for the back of the room. And like, that's kind of even now, like with my pop music, like I'm trying to incorporate like a lot of really cool techniques and things that like people might not typically hear in pop. Um, but also still catering to an audience, still catering to the pop sound, which is like very simple, which is sometimes even more challenging than what I was even doing before. I remember when we were recording my 21 minute drive EP and my producer Russell was like, stop singing. He's like, stop trying. Like you're pushing way too hard. You're trying to belt way too hard. He was like, there's so many different ways that you can sing this song. You don't have to belt it all the time. And like, 
just listening to like multivitamin and the ways that I sang that like multivitamin is like the hardest song I have to sing like singing all the song all my new songs like we have an original set coming up and it's all of my new songs all my new pop songs like I barely belt any of them and it feels weird it's like such a different thing for me because I'm always like singing whereas now it's like I'm really like performing and it's and it's a different kind of way of like tackling the song so I kind of it's funny that you brought that up with like Kanye because or like just the creativity aspect because I really do see it a lot in my music now and trying to like all right how am I going to be how am I going to use my techniques in a more creative way or like in a different creative way if that makes sense oh, it makes perfect sense Ugly Pancake Productions has your comedy needs covered. Open mics, we got it. Showcases, we got it. Fundraisers, we got it. We are bringing some of the area's best comics all over New Jersey to your venue. Whether it's a brewery, whether it's a bar, whether it's a restaurant or event space, Ugly Pancake Productions has you covered with some of the best entertainment anywhere on the East Coast. Now I'm going to put you on the spot. You don't want to answer. You don't have to. Okay. Give me some famous artists that do that well and some that show off too much. Who do you got? Throw some people under the bus. Who's a show off? Who is a show off? There's definitely some. Oh, my God. You are putting me on the spot because I feel like I would, I feel like I would know the answer to this. Like I said, like, I guess I thought like Jacob Collier, you know, okay. because he's really talented. Like, I don't mean to denote his talent at all, but I just, I'm like, oh my God, dude, like we get it. Like, we, you know, like, yeah, we, get we know your... that you can do this. Right. Um, uh, but I do, I do think he's extremely talented. And then someone who does it really well, I think, honestly, I gotta, I gotta say Ariana Grande and I'm not a really big Ariana Grande fan. Like I don't listen to her music all the time. And I've, I've been bringing her up a lot more recently because I think my style has like a little bit like morphed into her sound, especially because my producer is a very big Ariana Grande fan. So I think he pulls a lot of inspiration from her. She can hit like a lot of whistle tones. She can hit a lot of notes and she can do a lot of things. And I think I became really impressed with her because she has a musical theater background and musical theater singing and pop singing are on complete opposite sides of the spectrum. And um, she does like a really good job at not, not always doing that. It's like, she gives us a little bit here and there and it's like very nice and it's like very cool. And I like, sometimes I hear her songs on the radio and I'm like, man, like that is just so cool. Like yeah. I couldn't even attempt to sing that. Like I hear it and I feel it in my body that like I would never even be able to get anywhere near close to that. But I feel like if I heard it all the time, she's like the only one that I can think of like today that is able to sing like that and doesn't. Like she just doesn't all the yeah, time. And like, when she did the Wicked thing. There was like a Wicked 15 year anniversary or something like that. And she sang The Wizard and I. And I was like, oh my God, like she can really sing like that. Like you just forget, you know? Right. And I'll be honest, my first, my first knowledge of Ariana Grande was that song with Mac Miller, The Way, right? Uh -huh. She doesn't really sing on that at all to her ability. And I only, it only came across my radar because I like Mac Miller. And then, right. and then I listened to it. I'm like, oh, this is like a cool young girl. Little, like her voice is very small, but whatever. And then like a year later, you hear her really going after it. And you're like, oh wait, she's a great singer. She just chose to do this other thing on the, on the single with Mac Miller, which was kind of, I think it was kind of cool that her kind of like first kind of bigger hit wasn't the, 
full-blown look at me, listen to my voice kind of thing. She kind of came in a little, right. little softer with it from left field. She's really good at that. And I, I don't know, like, like I said, I guess because, because her musical theater background and her pop voice, they're just really on two different sides of the spectrum. And both of those styles, those tech, those vocal techniques are very different. So I don't know if, I mean, she, she grew up, she grew up in the spotlight. I'm sure she had a lot of guidance and a lot of vocal coaches and a lot of people tell her like, you know, like you don't have to sing like this all the time. And this is how you sing a pop song. And this is how you sing a, sing a theater song. So I don't know. I, I don't know if that has to do with her training or maybe she really just knows like, I don't need to do this all the time. People know, people know I can do that. And I was yeah. like, I, I don't know, just thinking about it now. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's like really cool that she's able to do that. And I, and I'm still trying to get comfortable with it. Cause like I said, singing all my new pop songs, I don't like belt any of them. And I'm like, Oh my God, like people are not going to know that I can sing like that, but that's not true. You know, it's like, I'm, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to throw something at you. Cause you already made several parallels between standoff and music, right? Mm -hmm. When you get to perform all the time and you have millions of followers and you know, your fan base is going to buy your album and listen to it start to finish. You have a little bit of a luxury where you could try a lot of different things because you're going to, you have a longer leash of people watching you experiment a little bit. Right. Whenever I book a big show, I always feel like I got to do the stuff I know works and I experiment at smaller stuff because I'm not getting booked seven nights a week. I'm doing two or three or four. Maybe um, I really don't get as much of an experimentation in front of a crowd as I would if I was working more. I think music is kind of the same thing, right? When you're not allowed to, you don't, you know, you can't perform for an hour every night in front of a packed stadium. You're not always in the studio. You're, I guess it's a weird thing where you have to work a little bit harder because you have less chances to, to do things that might not work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like you're experimenting, you know, every, I think every time that you perform, no matter what you're experimenting, you're seeing what the audience likes. And I was on tour with Remember Jones in summer of 2019 and the winter of 2020 before um, the pandemic hit. And we were testing out new songs, um, new sets, uh, depending on like the, the smaller crowds, like the ones that we knew that were gonna be smaller, we're like, okay, let's try this set out, not just to see how the audience reacts, but to see how it feels to us, to make sure it feels good to us and like what we wanna portray to an audience. And, and then of course the audience feedback is very important. So I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think everything is like a little bit of an experiment. And now that like the restrictions are starting to lift up and shows are slowly starting to come back. Like I'm, I'm doing a little bit of that here and there always like, all right, let's do our acoustic sets. Let's, you know, test out our originals. Let's do a lot of covers and then throw our originals in there and just see how people react. And, and this is actually coming up our first original show um, since COVID has really picked back up not entirely like like with the new stuff like with everything that's new like it's really the first show that we're doing all of these things so it's like again it's like I'm a little not nervous like I don't get nervous to perform but it's just like okay like how are people going to react to this set versus what I was doing almost two years ago or three years ago when I had a big band and we're playing just a completely different style of music so everything is just like everything is like a little bit of experimenting nice um, speaking of experimenting, I want to talk about a couple of your songs that I'm a fan of and just talk about what went into those. What was the recording process like? What was the writing process like? And what point you were trying to get across? So let's start with, I guess, I guess it's your biggest single right now is Multivitamin, right? You guys did mm -hmm. a lot of promo behind that. It's a dope song. It's a, it's a really cool record Thank to you. me. Um, what, what's going on in that? What, what was the thought process? Who'd you work with? How's it happen? Yeah, so I wrote that or I came, well, okay, if we start at the beginning, 
Um, I went on a cross country road trip to move one of my really good friends out to California. And then from California, I flew to Hawaii and I was gone for like three weeks. And this was like a point in time where like I was a full-time substitute teacher. This was earlier this year. This was like in March. I was a full-time substitute teacher for like the whole school year of 2020 going into 2021. Um, I was living at home and I should have been in the city. I had my apartment in the city, um, but there was just nothing happening and no reason really for me to be there besides just wanting to be in New York. Um, And I was like, had my heart broken and just was feeling like really lost in like where my life was going. I wasn't really doing any shows or anything like that. So I went on this like road trip and I kind of was like thinking to myself, I was like in the back of the car and my friends were driving and I was like multivitamin, like it just popped in my head. I was like multivitamin, like that could be a really cool song title. And I remember feeling like that trip was like the first time that I felt like really excited and like really good about myself and just doing things for me, like doing things that make me feel good. Like what are the things that make me sad? How do I get them out of my life? And what are things that make me happy? And what am I going to do to bring those things into my life? And using multivitamin kind of as the metaphor of like, I'm going to do things for me. And because I was also just brokenhearted, which is like a common theme in a lot of my songs, I, um, I kind of like pulled from that a little bit too. Cause it's like, you know, like, why doesn't this person want to spend time with me? Like, I love spending time with me. I love doing things for me because I love myself. So like, why does no one else see that? And then the chorus kind of being that resolve, of like, no, like I am really great. Like I, I washed my face, I painted my nails, um, you know, and I did all these things, which is like where the multivitamin comes in. I'm doing all these different little things to like make me feel good. Yeah, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool vibe. You definitely get that point across in the music and the lyrics. I like that one a lot. Um, staying on the health kick, what's up with Strawberry? Oh yeah. So strawberry was inspired, um, by the same trip, uh, when I was in Hawaii and honestly, strawberry means like, it's so funny. People are like, what does strawberry mean? And I was like, it really means nothing. Like I went to my producer, Russell, and I was like, here's all these song titles I came up with. Like I came up with all the song titles first and, and this is how I was feeling on my trip. And like multivitamin of course had like a very specific thing. Um, and then I left my heart in New York city, like was a very specific thing, but I had the title, like I had the titles and the concepts and then strawberry. I was like, I don't know. So, like, I like strawberries. Like maybe, maybe I should just write a song called strawberry. I didn't know why I was just like, strawberry could be like a really cool song title. So like, I'll just throw it in the mix. And I, when I came home uh, from my trip and I sat down with Russell, I said, the only one that I don't really know about is strawberry. And I said, I have like a little bit of an idea, but we really can go like anywhere we want with this because strawberry just means nothing to me besides the fact that I thought it was a cool title. And when I was in Hawaii, I actually met a guy on the beach that like helped save my friend when she was surfing. And it was like this like really weird, just like thing that happened. Like she was out there and she's like new at surfing and we're in Hawaii, which is like the waves out there are crazy. We were at like Diamond Head Beach And I just remember the water looking so rough. I wouldn't even attempt. Like, I was like, I've never even sat on a surfboard. Like, I'm totally not going out there. And my friend was out there and she was struggling a lot. So she came back in and she was like, oh my God, like, I was terrified. I like, didn't know what was going to happen. Like, I I was really scared. So 
this guy who was out there um, kind of like came and helped her and saved her. He was like more experienced surfer. And so maybe like 10, 15 minutes later, he's walking down the beach and he sees my friend and he was like, oh my God, like you made it out. Like so happy that you're alive, like whatever. And just like making a joke. And he sat down with us and we were talking to him for a while. And it just seemed like very normal. And like, we just like, I think that's kind of like the culture out in Hawaii. People like really socialize a lot when they're surfing and out on the beach. And um, we were like, oh, okay. Like maybe we'll like hang out again. Like when we're, um, you know, just like exploring the island, like for the rest of our trip or whatever. And he ended up texting me and he was like, he was like, I don't know if this is weird or anything, but like, would you want to go out? Like, do you want to like go out on a date? And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, that's weird. Like I'm with my friends and like, we're in Hawaii. Like, I, like, I don't live here. Like, why would we go on a date? And my friends were like, no, like we're kind of all doing our own thing tonight. So like, if you want to come with us or if you want to like, you know, go out with him, like by all means. And so I went out with him and I was like, how cool would it be if like, you know, I just like stayed here and like we fell in love and I just started kind of creating like this whole like fantasy in my head of like what would happen if I like stayed in Hawaii and if like the date with this guy like went really well and that was really it and like I actually went on this date and it was not great <laughs> it like was like not worth it really I mean it was fine for what it was but I was just like man that like whole story I just made up in my head was like not as good as it just like didn't meet up to that that story that I really like wanted to happen so I told like I was filling in Russell about like that whole experience and he was just like that's strawberry that's what we're gonna write about that's a cool story and is Russell the guy on the song is that his voice or is that somebody else yeah so Russell is the uh producer and also the artist featured on the song um he I met him because he um is his own artist. He's a rapper and hip hop artist. And, um, he hasn't done that in a really long time. So I was able to like convince him, like, come on, like, it'll be really it's fun. Kind of, it's kind of cool. Does he, does he have a, a performer name or does he go by Russell or what's his, what's his name? Russell Hayden. Russell Hayden. Yeah. Shout him out while we can. Right. Yeah. Um, for sure. Real quick. The song atypical. What's your beef with Instagram models? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not playing. I'm, don't even address that one. Yeah. Uh, tell us what's going on in quarter life crisis, man. I really like that. I think it encapsulates being 25 so well. Um, what, what went on behind that? So yeah, I love quarter life crisis. Every time my friends put that on or it pops up on their playlist or anything like that, I always get so excited because I really do love how that song came out. Um, so I turned 25 last year. So I'm 26 now. But when I first turned 25, I had this like weird thing always growing up where I felt like I was older than I was, but people never really seemed to like think that way. And I mean, obviously like looking back now too, I'm like, okay, 16, obviously I wasn't an adult when I was 16. I didn't know everything when I was 16, but I just feel like every time I got a little bit older, I was like a little, like I was more excited because I felt like I was going to be taken more seriously. And that like never happened. And I always get, I always get told, oh my God, you look so young or, oh my God, you're so young. And I'm like, no one's telling me that. Like, it's a compliment. They're kind of like taking a dig at me. Like every single time someone tells me that I'm young, it's never like, oh my God, you're so young. Like you're so lucky with your life ahead of you. It's never like that. It's like, oh you're really young. 
And I just hate that. Like I always hated that. So I thought that once I turned 25, like that was the number that sounded nice in my head where I was like, people are gonna take me seriously as like an adult and like that I know what I'm talking about. And it was right after my birthday. And I remember I I was having this conversation with like, I think it was my family members or something like that. And I made like a comment and they said something, well, you wouldn't know, like you're, you know, you're not an adult. And I was like, oh my God. Like basically telling me like, I didn't have an opinion because like I wasn't an adult yet. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And I just thought it was so, it just made me so angry and so frustrated. But then also being in this kind of space where like a lot of younger people think I am old and a lot of older people thinking I'm too young. So it's like too young and too old and too young for certain things, too old for other things. And it's like, what's, what's the in-between here? And then also kind of seeing my friends buy houses and my friends get engaged and my friends in these like really big, like well-paying jobs and just like doing these, all these adult things that I felt like I should have been a part of. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, this is, this is really frustrating. And it actually took me, I knew exactly what I wanted to say. I had the melody and everything like that. But it took me a really long time to put it into the words that it is now. Cause I, I, I knew what I wanted to say. It just wasn't coming out. So it took me probably like four months to like write the whole thing. And once, once it hit me, it hit me. And I, I mean, I just, I, wrote it all probably within an hour. Um, but I had the idea for a really, really long time and I was working on it for a really long time. So that's kind of how that came up. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, Kenny, the other cousin on the spot, cause he's 25 now, he just turned 25. He's one year younger than you. And whenever we have that conversation that you just had, I always tell him it's a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah. Like, cause you bought a house at 24. doesn't mean you're not going to lose that house at 34. Right. And cause you live with your parents at 24 doesn't mean you don't have a mansion at 34. Um, you got to, you know, people have different goals, different timelines, and you know, time moves different for other people. But the only thing I always think about, you could say it's about twenty-five. We say about any age. To a high school kid, a twenty-five-year-old is ancient. Like that's like grandma or grandpa, right? But to, oh, a, four, I, yeah. but to a forty-year-old, a twenty-five-year-old, a kid, and it's weird that that's kind of like that just goes on forever. Like a forty-year-old is super old to a twenty-year-old, right? But to a sixty-year-old, a forty-year-old is, is a kid. It's a weird. It's a weird thing. Right. It is. It's like, you're always going to be, you're always going to be younger than somebody. And like, you're just always going to be viewed as like a kid to somebody. But it's funny you say that because I was, like I said, I was a full-time substitute teacher uh, last year. And I don't even know. I don't even know what I said. I think I said like the year I graduated or like how old I was or something. And he was, the kid was like, oh, you're an old head. And I was like, no what I was like I'm not old at all like I know I'm young but you know what I I tell people anybody says that to me because just doing stand-up and being a bar restaurant world I'm around a lot of people that are a lot younger than me right and I'm like you're right I would be lame if I was 20 but I'm a dope 40 year old yeah (laughs) right 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 um so yeah, man, that's why I, I try to try to twist that in my favor. Um, speaking about the way time goes on, the march of time, where do you want to be in one year career-wise and where do you want to be in five years? So I saw this question and I was like, how am I going to answer this? Because I feel like 
every time I have like a plan for five years ahead of my life, like it just, it, it never, it never works out. And I'm pretty sure that always is what happens to a lot of people sometimes for the best, sometimes maybe not for the best. Um, but I really, really, really want to get my music to a point where like, I am just completely happy with it. I am constantly creating things that I like and that the audience and my, my target audience is going to like. And I just, I just want to like be proud of what I'm creating. And I also, I do, I do really want to give my art like a really good push and kind of do just everything that I can. And I don't really know what that end goal looks like. I would say five years ago, I would have saw myself by now being signed to a label and maybe going on major tours, stadium tours or anything like that. And I would absolutely love that. But I would also be really happy if I could like support myself and a family just by doing my music and not having to get a second job. Like that really is like the main goal. That's like the, that's like the minimum goal but like really like the big thing is like, uh, yeah, I would love to be at these award shows. I would love to be signed to a major label and, you know, just getting my music out to as many people as possible. Hey, what I love about that answer is the first thing out of your mouth was I want to make music I'm proud of that I'm artistically supported by and that I like, I can be proud of what I'm putting out. I think so many people in the entertainment world go right to fans, money, houses, cars, awards, um, and kind of forget about being an artist. And then you hit that first and make stuff yeah. you're proud of and you think is great. And hopefully everybody else kind of jumps on board and thinks it's great too. So definitely appreciate that. You ready to play a quick game with us? Yes, for sure. All right. Your name's Taylor Tote. I want your first gut reaction to these other Taylors and other Totes. You ready to go? Okay. Number one, Taylor Swift. Okay. So I always, anytime someone says something about Taylor Swift, I get called Taylor Swift all the time, which is like, weird because just because we have the same name doesn't mean we're the same at all but I have I don't know my, my feelings on Taylor Swift have changed I wouldn't say I'm like a fan um but on a business level I think she is very talented I think she's really great at what she does on a personal level like as like a music fan I don't really listen to her a ton I don't hate, it's not that I hate her music. I'm just not like a diehard Taylor Swift fan. Um, I used to kind of like not really like the kind of person she was just from stories I would hear and things that I would see, but I did gain um, some sort of like new respect for her after her documentary came out. So my feelings on her always kind of change a little bit, but that's, that's kind of that, I guess. Okay, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, the actor that played the oldest son on 90s sitcom Home Improvement. <laughs> oh my God. I haven't seen that show. I think I saw that show maybe like a couple of times when I was like, what was that on like ABC Family or Nick at Night? I, I think ABC Family. Yeah. I don't, that, I don't, I, I okay, so no, no, no opinion. Moving on. No opinion. Next, Taylor. Taylor Allen. Oh, is he a comedian? He's a comedian. He's a bad comedian. What do you think about him? He's a comedian <laughs> in, in the area. He's, yeah, I met. Uh, Go ahead. I I know Taylor Allen because he hosted the Asbury Music Awards. Um, hey, have, you, have you have you been have you been to the Asbury Music Awards? Yes, I was nominated you, a couple of times. Me too. I'm zero and four. 
four nominations, zero wins. Yeah, not exactly. not bitter about that at all. You ever win one? Zero wins. All right. Uh, deal. If either of us win ones, we celebrate together that night? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Hit some totes. Tote bags. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay. Um, I, growing up, was called Taylor Tote Bag by this one kid in school. And I don't know if he was bullying me or trying to be funny, but I always thought it was really funny. Um, and also, I definitely am looking into tote bags as merch because I think it's hilarious. I got to move on that. Say, you got to make that happen. I actually say to people all the time when they like at shows are like, what's your name? I'm like, Taylor Tote. And they're like, Tote? I'm like, yeah, Tote like the bag. That is, so that is perfect. I want to put that like on an actual tote bag. You got to do it. Uh, yeah. The 90s rapper Biggie Smalls lyric, I tote guns, I make number runs, which makes toting anything sound so much more menacing than it should ever be. Yeah. I like Biggie, but that does seem really aggressive. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird lyric. And uh, last one I got, 2000 slang, totes my goats. You, you got to get that a lot too, right? You've heard that a bunch I, of times. I do get totes you, my goats. Do you like it or do you hate it? Um, neither. I guess I'm indifferent. I feel like if I heard it all the time, then I'd probably be like, nah. It's, right, it's, one, of the, it's one of those terms for me. Like the first time I heard it, like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And then it gets stuck in my head and then I, I'll start saying it. And it, like, it, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why would I ever use that? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Wrap us up. Give us your social media. Give us what you got coming out next. And how do we find your music? Okay. So coming out next, uh, working on a lot of singles, working on a lot of live recordings um, and stuff like that. So if you want to follow up and see what's happening next, you can definitely find me on Instagram at Taytote. So that's T-A-Y-T-O-T-E. Um, also, my website is www.taylortote.com and Facebook is Taylortote Music. And that's going to wrap it up for another episode of me and my cousins. Huge thanks to Taylor Tote. She's putting out great music. She's doing big things. And she's about to be back in the city soon. Hopefully, sooner than later, me and her both finally win an Asbury Park Music Award. Yes. Me and my cousins. It's a podcast. In case you missed the first season of Me and My Cousins, go back wherever you listen to podcasts and listen to Angelo Gingerelli, Mike Casale, and Kenny Nicosia hit you with three perspectives from three cousins from three different decades. We had sports people like Connor Rue from TNL Performance, the guys from Mach 1 Barbell, John Schaefer, and World Bench Press Champion Mike Kapinski. We had music people like DJ Funsize, Chucky Gook, and Short Shot, and Drew the Recluse. We had comedy people like Andrew Lawson, Taylor Allen, and the Ants. We had podcast people like KP Burke and the Foul Housemates, a.k.a. Dan Caprio and Leah Wolf, and we had Jersey Shore legends of making like Jake Dillon, R.C. Staub, and Spire by KHF, plus the guys from the Bean Mug and Coffee Co. Everybody you're going to be talking about next year, we were talking to last year. Me and my cousins. It's a podcast.